0: Hello. Just before we begin this week's episode, I'm walking a very special musical Camino in May 2024, and I'm inviting you to join me. me? me? I'm walking from Leon to Santiago de Compostela in the first three weeks of May next year. I'll be performing concerts along the way. Pilgrims walking with me will pay a fee and every cent will go towards making my new album, Storyteller. Won't you join me? Won't you join we are already selling spots, so if you're interested, join now. Just go to danmullinsmusic.com. There's a list of frequently asked questions and a basic itinerary. not you join me? Won't you join me? Join me for a magical musical camino. To reserve your spot, go to danmullensmusic.com. will join me? you join me? Won't you join me? and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago or the way of St. James. And I was thinking about last week's interview with Gail Nicholson, and we ended the conversation talking about carpe diem, the Latin phrase that means seize the day. There are so many ways to seize the day, not just the day, but the hour, the week, the year, the life. And a pilgrimage is a very good way to do it. You begin with the moment of realisation, I'm going to walk the Camino. You become a Wilgrim, you will do it. And then there's the planning, the research, the guidebooks, choosing which route to walk, discovering podcasts like this, talking with other pilgrims, joining a local chapter or a Camino group, and of course, walking. Seize the day. Carpe diem. One way to make the most of our day, our life, our existence, is to remind ourselves of the joy around us. And mantras can be a very good way of doing it. I remember writing one in my diary years ago, I heard it at a yoga class, On Namo Guru dev Namo, I call upon the divine wisdom and bow to this wisdom. Well, my guest this week is a return guest. I last spoke with Patrick Rawson back in January 2019. We talked about his book, Conjectures of a Wayward Pilgrim, My Musings While Walking the Camino de Santiago. Well, he subsequently released a number of books in that series and a brand new book. And the brand new book is about mantras. Patrick is on the line from Oregon in the United States. Welcome, Pilgrim.
1: Thank you, Danny.
0: Good to be here. So... Have you been back to the Camino in the last four and a half years, Patrick?
1: Um, unfortunately, no, I have not. I've done a Camino in Ireland called the the, uh, the Kerry Camino. I could tell you a bit about that if you want. Yeah, and um, we have and we've done our own Northwest Caminos here in in Oregon.
0: Yeah, I want to get to the Northwest uh, journeys because some of the pictures I saw in the website you sent me were amazing. Looks like an incredible walk. That was at Trout Lake Abbey.
1: Like Abbey. It's a Buddhist abbey, yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. How exciting. How fantastic. So when we last talked, we discussed conjectures of a wayward pilgrim, my musings while walking the Camino de Santiago. Tell us about Conjectures of a Border Pilgrim, this subsequent book, Reflections on Borders, Boundaries and Belonging.
1: Yeah, I mean, my whole approach to the Camino has always been that the Camino begins when you get home. You've all heard that. And um, I felt like I needed to continue the pilgrim life and one way for me to do that was to feel some solidarity with people who are forced to walk and um, so I went down to the border um, between the United States and Mexico. I lived on the Mexican side and there's a like a resource center um, that was caring for all the little families that were coming up from the south and uh, we, you know, with, we provided food, we provided legal aid, provided clothing. Provided medical, it was a medical clinic, and it was run by Mexican sisters and Jesuits. Uh, So it was kind of a bi national project between the US and Mexico.
0: And so I still go there every year. Yeah, right. And so there must have been extraordinary challenges along the border trying to solve what must be an, an impossible problem to fix.
1: Yeah, Nogales is not quite as dire as sometimes in the news you'll see places like Matamoros or Juarez, where people are, you know, living uh, under bridges right next to the river. Um, Nogales is kind of a dusty desert town in the Sonoran Desert, so the numbers are not quite as oppressive as mm-hmm. you might think from the news, but we still had, you know, a couple of hundred every day, and we had 75 living in the, in the building. Um, so... And that was during COVID.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was during COVID. That's right, yeah. And then there was the third in this trilogy, From Isolation to Embrace, Conjectures on Belonging in a Time of Pandemic. Tell us about that third book in the trilogy.
1: Well, you know, I was trying to reflect on, you know, again, another way of being a pilgrim and um, and do it when you're in isolation. How do you do that? How do you, how do you continue when you're asked to se- be separate? Um, the Irish have a beautiful way of talking about quarantining and they, they, they the word that they all use is is cocooning. Oh. And uh I thought it was a beautiful image of, you know, yeah. that we're in a cocoon but we're all going to come out of this, you know. Mm. So my hope that whole book was an attempt to look at how to how to make wider circles of belonging in our lives. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, in one of the write-ups for the books it mentioned themes pilgrimage sanctuary belonging and healthy spirituality tell us about sanctuary
1: yeah it, that go, that word comes right back to the day i arrived at the uh, Cruz de Ferro, um in on, on my first camino on my only camino really and i was thinking about that as i walked up in the dark i was thinking about what is my the message i'm i'm uh, I'm meant to have during this Camino and it kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning the word sanctuary. Mm. And that in my, you know, I've just retired and it, I feel like it's calling me to be a sanctuary, not just to go visit sanctuaries, but to be a sanctuary in my life with my grandkids, with my children, with um, people on the border, a, a place that feels safe. Um, there were so many migrants that said, I haven't slept in weeks, this is the first time I've ever felt safe, and me and my children, you know. So it, it, I, that calling to be sanctuary is very t- intimately connected with Camino for me. You
0: know? Wow, that's really fantastic. I've never ever thought of that before. When I saw the word, I, I mean, the, the you know those four, uh, the four mentions or the th- four themes: pilgrimage, yeah, sure. Sanctuary, though, that struck me. I've never thought about that. That's extraordinary. What terrific insight! Sanctuary, somewhere to be safe, huh? What about you? Describe yourself as a Buddhist Catholic. What is healthy spirituality?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's a combination of some level of contemplative prayer and some level of active engagement, and the uh, probably the most important is the and in between those that you have to connect those two both. Both contemplation and active, active engagement, and I think Buddhism and my own Catholic um, faith have tried to encourage both of those. You know?
0: Yeah, I, I thought the 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 byline of the book, the trilogy, challenges us to wake up and stand up. How do I wake up and stand up?
1: I kind of thought of that in terms of the Buddhist Catholic hyphenated. I, self-identity of mine, um, I think Buddhism has always taught people that you're supposed to wake up. And it, they even talk about awakening or enlightening. And it's, it's always ter- described as a kind of waking up. And um, my my Christian faith has always taught me about engagement, about uh, loving my neighbor, um, having compassion. So wake up and stand up. You know, and it, the other the other phrase that's similar to that is, you know, um, breathe and push. You know, you got to breathe, but you got to push for justice also.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to that uh, when we talk about the new book. I wonder what you've learned about yourself. Um, you've had a life of of advising people, working in palliative care, and supporting people, being there for their most difficult times, often. What did you learn about yourself when you worked with those people on the Mexican border? And what did you learn about yourself when you looked into their eyes, when you saw the hardship that they were enduring and and, and, and in often cases had overcome and still had much more to overcome?
1: Yeah. Well, I guess to me, it's a sense of connection that um, we're all part of one family and, uh, and those Circles of belonging need to be affirmed and 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 celebrated. Um, so anything that takes me away from division and brings me towards connection is probably what I learned the most.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I th- I suppose the one thing about the caring nature of a Catholic Buddhist is that is someone who really when you pick the narrative out of both of those cultures is all about love, right? Yeah love um, yeah
1: loving kindness Yeah,
0: yeah, love and kindness. And so when you're at the border working with those people who are at just the most extraordinarily difficult time of their life, love and and kindness would be paramount. Yeah and
1: humility.
0: Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I don't think you can do this work without a sense of deep humility. You know that we um, we don't you can't go down there to um, save people or anything like that. You you go there to accompany people.
0: Right? Can, can you learn humility, or do you need to take it with you?
1: <laughs> well, if you look at the very end of the book, I snuck in these uh, twelve steps. Of humility in the appendix, and something I learned from an, a sister uh, from Washington D.C. And she wrote up these—it's like a twelve-step program, but instead of a you know a, a program to get rid of an addiction, it's a program of growth. And she, and she takes like a Benedictine tradition and and puts it into the framework of a twelve-step program. And I've done it with groups, and I find it really is challenging for my own self-growth and many of the people in my groups were very young pe- young adults and they they understood what, what was what was being asked of them you know to be humble
0: yeah and you talk about humility you've talked also about love and kindness you've talked about the the buddhist catholic uh, belief and and your spirituality based on those two two cultures and and belief sets and you said to me in in an email this week dan feel free to share the book with whomever would like a copy. And and I thought, well, that's just extraordinary kindness. I think that shows, you know, we, there'll be people listening saying, I'd really like to learn those 12 steps to humility. Well, we can give them a copy of the book because of your humility.
1: I'm glad to give a Word document of the book if anybody wants it. I'm not here to make money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but but you're going to make a lot of people think and a lot of people really will love it very, very much. Um. I have said here before on the podcast um that my family says grace every night before dinner. Um and I'll I'll we'll we'll, we'll say the sign of the cross and and I'll say you know to my youngest son Riley you know you, you lead us in prayer or or Lewis you lead us in prayer and and um it's 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 my way or our way my family's way of saying thank you um for our extraordinary good fortune and there's a, a little section of the of of the book when you talk about one of the mantras and we'll get to it in a minute. But just this morning um my son got up late and made himself a bit of um, breakfast and was sitting beside me and he blessed himself and then said a quick prayer. And I quickly scrolled through the book and I read out the part in there um from the book, which he thought was just fantastic. He, and so you know he, he has walked to the, the Camino with me. So he knows the kind of Camino understanding, but it really rang true with the pair of us. So there is something for everyone in this book. So let's talk about it. Mantras for a mindful Camino. Where did the idea come from, Patrick?
1: Um, it came during that first Camino. Um, I was preparing for it and listening to podcasts and everything and reading anything, anything I could. And I did come across these Five guidelines for the Camino. Um, you may have heard them before. I, I always say, um, "Men just snore, no comment." That's the way I can yeah. remember it. So the M is the M is live in the moment. The J is uh, uh, no judgment. Is J uh, S is a simple life is a good way to live. Uh, the N is the community gives you what you need, not what you want. And the C is. Um, Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So I went. I went to the Camino with these five lessons, and we found. I was. I was walking with a friend, Gary. From I went to graduate school with, and um, we started throwing out these five lessons as we walked along, or in the evenings as we sat around with other pilgrims, and it, it it immediately created an opening for a deeper conversation, and people added to those five, and they said, "Well, what about? It's all about the." Um, the journey, not the destination, you know, yeah. so we started adding, you know, so it was kind of a beautiful way to jumpstart uh, deeper conversations during that first comitó. And then since then, I just started adding more. And and every time I kind of got a, a wise saying that I read or heard, I just added them to my list. And I said, eh, this could be a book.
0: You know? Yeah, yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book because there's personal insight and then there's reflections on the Camino and then there are stories from outside the Camino and and other ways to link these terrific sayings, mantras and proverbs. You even say there are some zingers in there that serve as daily reflections. Um, So what makes a mantra book-worthy?
1: Um, well, this book is very different than most Camino books. Most, you know, a lot of books are memoirs, mem- memoirs or um, or guidebooks, you know. And this is sort of meant as a kind of a reflection. I, I would picture somebody who's walking the Camino could do. I think I have about ninety-five in there that they could do three of these a day, mm. and they're short enough that you could actually get them into your head and walk with them. Um, so that would be my hope that a person could. Read the you know the three for the day, and then walk with those as they walk along, and uh, and it's it's really an invitation not just to get my commentary on on the on the mantras, but to have the person themselves come up with their own reflection on those mantras and add more mantras.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing I I got from it, Patrick, was that they're not necessarily just for the Camino either. Th- no, th- this med- is life. it's for life, right? And and it's yeah. it's and therefore the, not just for life, but the pilgrimage of life, the the easy days, the difficult days, the days when I really just need something to say to myself. Um, you you know, you need to just relax and take it easy and and think about this and just maybe roll this over in your mind today because you're going to go through something. It's a terrific book. I absolutely loved it. But where do I find time for a mantra in my crazy, busy world?
1: Well, you put the book on your toilet. (laughs) 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 And you just read one, you know? (laughs) What a great it's not answer. Be, <laughs> it's not meant to be read all at once. You no, know, it's meant no. to be read in little little short pieces.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says there, um, again, I'll mention the Buddhist Catholic spirituality that you embrace, has inspired these opportunities to breathe and push in our calling to bring to birth a world of compassion, justice and belonging. So tell us about opportunities to breathe and push.
1: Yes, that phrase comes from a book. I can't remember the author's name right now, but she's a Sikh woman that lives in America, and uh, she experienced an awful lot of trauma in her life. But um, she wrote a book called "There Were There There there, were, there Are No Strangers." I think it said something like that. "There Are No Strangers." So um, it's it's a very feminist perspective, right? To, to it's it's what you what the advice you get when you're when you're having a baby: breathe and push. Hmm. And she takes that phrase and it talks about how we have to have a contemplative inner core. So you breathe and then you have to be, you have to look at the world and and push and not accept injustice or cruelty or uh, discrimination. So I thought it was a good kind of a combination of the the Catholic Buddhist tradition you know, for me.
0: Yeah, breathe and push. I like it. Uh, And I also like that the, the, the byline is calling to bring to birth a world of compassion, justice, and belonging. You know, those three things, compassion, justice, and belonging, are real pilgrim traits. Um, because you find yourself on the Camino showing compassion that you perhaps didn't know you had. Um, justice, I think, that you experience on the Camino the opportunity to see the world in its finest when we're all collective together and belonging. That's one of the great things about the Camino is that you become part of a global community uh, in many ways. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just, I don't think anybody can walk nowadays uh, the Camino or their, even their own walk without thinking of the people in Gaza that are forced to walk, yeah. you know? So we have to have the solidarity and the, and the compassion and the, the ability to think that this this walking is not just my ego trip it's a, it's a solidarity thing
0: yeah yeah that is just heartbreaking to watch um it's just a slow moving uh, catastrophe isn't it um and we're all watching we're watching from afar we just can't quite believe it so you encourage the reader to choose five mantras why mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I I didn't want to have the um, the arrogance to think that all ninety five of mine were applicable to everybody. Right. So I figured if you can just pick out five and walk with them, I would be totally thrilled that a person would would have a five that they liked and maybe add a few of their own. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I've chose I've chosen five. Um, okay. So, oh, right, right. So we're going to go through them. Um, I, and I love this part of the story. Um, The first one I chose is how I do one thing is how I do everything. And we touched on it just a little while ago. But you say, my wife Becky has a friend who told her that when she went out on a date with a new person, she always observed how her date treated the toll bridge operator. Yes, in Oregon, we still have real people collecting bridge tolls. The way he interacted with the worker collecting tolls was a major indicator of how that person treated everyone else likewise in our lives the way we treat any individual is indicative of how we treat others how a doctor treats the hospital housekeeper is a better indicator of how she treats her patients than any fancy diploma on the office wall i love that how you right how i react to silence or even boredom on a particular occasion Says a lot about how I have integrated contemplation into my spiritual life. I love that too. And then you say, How I pray a grace before meals is a good indicator of how I embody gratitude in my whole life. How I do one thing is how I do everything. I love that. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Did you write that? Did you is that your
1: mantra? The mantra actually comes from uh, a writer, Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan. That's right. And um, I, I, I like his writing a lot. And he he does say that when his, in his talks. Yeah. So I just kind of expanded on it.
0: Yeah, that's right. I did read that in the book, that it was Richard's work. Um, number two, I, and I want you to expand on this for me. Good enough is both good and enough.
1: Yeah, I think I made that one up. So I was
0: proud of that. I love that one.
1: Um, and, you know, I, I just I think perfection is a problem, you know, people who go through life thinking that the goal is perfection are are just doomed to unhappiness. And um, so, you know, if you, I think there's many times in my life when I had an opportunity to do something and I could have gone two ways. I could have waited for a better idea or more funding or whatever but I had something that an opportunity to respond. And I had this phrase, is it good enough is good enough. And I just jumped in and that itself was, 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 was worthwhile. We, we tend to, uh, I don't know, not, not, we tend to wait till things are perfect and, and it, it doesn't ever happen. So we just have to jump in. Good enough is good enough. Is both good and enough. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it,
1: Maybe it's my own personality. You know, some of it's just like, I'm not a perfectionist. You
0: know? Yeah. But we do beat ourselves up, don't we? We really do. Yeah. We really, really do. Good enough is both good and enough. I love the, my, my choice of number three, atonement, but spelled at-one-ment instead of atonement. at one meant instead of atonement. Take us through that. <laughs> well, that's
1: kind of a heavy theological uh, reflection. Um, there's actually two different schools go way back to the middle ages with the dominicans and the franciscans and the uh the dominicans were really talking a lot about the atonement theory and redemption and substitutional um oh i forget the name but basically the whole thing of that the father demanded that the son should die for our sins kind of approach the franciscans insisted that the incarnation was the original plan and God wanted to come and be part of his creation or her creation, whatever you want to say. And um, so it's about at one month. God wanted to be one with us, not about a, 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 an angry God demanding a son die for the sins of the people. I, I just don't buy it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole other podcast in itself talking about that. You know our Catholic upbringings. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. But if you just
1: change it to at one minute, then you're it's fine, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. At one minute, exactly. At one minute instead of atonement. I love it. Now you touched on this earlier. Men just snore. No comment. <laughs> so when I read it, I'm like, what is men just snore? No comment. But but right, that is that a mantra? But there, and you touched on it before. Tell us about how it came about. Men just snore. No comment.
1: It was just a memory uh, technique to help me remember those five lessons that I talked about earlier. So the M, yeah. and J, you know. So it was just a memory technique, and right, works for some people, doesn't work for others. I don't know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it works for me. That's how I learn lyrics to a song. Oh yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what? what oh, halfway through the first line i'm thinking okay um you know the, what i can't I won't be able to remember one off the top of my head now um, but I always <laughs> it, it's either alphabetical or it's not and if it's if it's the first line is um starts with an a or a p or a d it's like uh you know mm-hmm. at, at pat's place i know it's at pat's, it's at yeah. pat's place not pat at pat's or it's app i know that's how i remember oh. the, that's how i remember the order um, I've been doing it since I was a little kid. Um, I love this one. This is my fifth one. Chop wood, carry water. What's that mean? Yeah.
1: Well, um, it's this old Buddhist story, uh, you know, that this novice comes to the master and says, Um, I want to be enlightened. And the uh the master tells the novice, you know, go chop wood and carry water. And he goes and does that for a year and comes back and says, Well, I've done that. And I still want to get enlightened. And um he says, Well, go back and cup, chop wood and carry water. And this goes on and on. And um the at some point he the the novice asks the master, Well, what will I do after I get enlightened? And the the answer is chop wood and carry water. <laughs> it's it's like the same thing we're saying about it. how you do one thing is how you do everything, right?
0: Yeah. You know? that's great
1: another way to think about it is you enter the universal through the particular you know we don't have to have these big abstract ideas um you can enter the the universal whether you call it god or whatever through the through the particular you know through a relationship that you have or through a river that's you know near your house or whatever just trust that that particular will give you the door to the to the universal
0: and in that respect, God is everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One of them, Merton says, um, the, the the gate to heaven is everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How fantastic. Well, they're my five mantras. Um, it's a wonderful book. It's funny, and it's enlightening, and it's it's spiritual, and it's reassuring. Thank you. Yeah. yeah reassuring. I found myself saying, oh, I'm going to pick this up from time to time and just flick through it again and again, because it's... Moments like chop wood, carry water, where you think, I'm battling away here. (laughs) We're all battling Mm -hmm. away here with these crazy, busy lives. But, you know, but chopping wood and carrying water has great dignity and purpose. Right. Yeah. And
1: it could be pick up a guitar and... Play for people,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chop wood, carry water. How fantastic! So that's the book. I I really, really loved every minute of it. Um, I also want to talk to you about what you're doing back home these days. Tell us about uh, the pilgrimage northwest.
1: Yeah, actually, this has actually happened before I went on my walk, the Camino walk. Um, we had a little kind of a, a, a bit, kind of an intergenerational. Catholic authors book group, a lot of young people. There were a lot of them were volunteers in social service kind of agencies. And um, we, got, we used to get together once a month and read a book and share our thoughts on the one book. And then somebody suggested that, well, why don't we read books about the Camino, but everybody read a different book about the Camino and then we'll all get together and report on our book and that perspective from that book. So the, out of that little discussion, Somebody was saying, Well, I'd love to go on the pilgrimage, but I just can't afford it. These are all young, young kids in their 20s, you know. So we decided, well, why don't we just do one right here in Oregon and and in the state of Washington just across the river. So we started doing it and um, we'd walk about 45 miles in five days. Not you know, they're not they're eight, eight mile days. And we sleep in basements of churches and in grange halls and uh, sometimes camping and we have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and mm-hmm. apples for lunch. It's the whole, I mean, basically we charge $10 a day for it. And it's meant to be accessible to anybody, you know? So it's, 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 it's we've been doing it for nine years and it, it's, we've walked about 150 miles on the Oregon coast and we've walked another, you know, 50, no, hundred miles in the Columbia Gorge mountain area of the Cascade mountains. And it's, it's the, the, I would say the best thing about it is it's intergenerational. You have people in their twenties and thirties, and you have people in their sixties and seventies, and each side says the best thing about it is getting to have conversations with the other generation.
0: And therefore, becomes a camino.
1: Yes, very much a camino.
0: Yeah, how fantastic! And how do you only walk once a year? Yeah, it's just once in the
1: summer. We walk for uh, like a, you know Wednesday to Sunday. Um, It's pretty simple. Yeah, but I mean, you, Oregon—you can't beat in terms of just how the landscape here is just unbelievable.
0: Yeah, the 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 website has some photo photographs there, which were just unbelievable, stunning yeah. landscape, just extraordinary.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that mountain that you see is Mount Adams, which is in the state of Washington.
0: Yeah, I flew in over those it. pictures. Yeah, I flew over Mount Adams, uh, flying into Seattle. In twenty right. in early twenty twenty, just before the the pandemic hit, and took a photo out of my window, and when during the pandemic everyone had those funny things whenever we were on isolation, and people said, you know, share the tenth last photograph on your phone, and I sort of scrolled through and sent that one. Everyone's like, okay, Dan wins, because <laughs> it's such a be- <laughs> such a beautiful landscape, it's extraordinary landscape, yeah, 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 and, and one of the folks... One of the photos is of a labyrinth but then you sent me a, a picture of a labyrinth in your backyard
1: right yeah we have a, a few acres here behind our house and uh, I, I got inspired by the labyrinth at the Buddhist Abbey where we were we were sleeping during our little pilgrimage walk and uh, I've just built one it's uh, it's a beautiful place you can just walk out bring your cup of coffee and just walk it in the morning uh, at the first light. It's a great way to start the day.
0: And is there a message in the middle?
1: Well, what I have is, uh, if you look at the picture, there's like a bucket uh, with rocks in it, and there's also a little mailbox. And the mailbox is full of meditations so that you can just pick one out and read it. Or the rocks are meant that you, you can either have a rock as a gratitude or a rock as a burden. And you walk into the center of the labyrinth and leave your burden, or or you present your gratitude. In the center, and then you walk back out the same route. How but my children, my, my grandchildren, I have bubbles in there, ah. and they go and they look, they blow bubbles.
0: Oh, how <laughs> wonderful! How fantastic! Hmm. Yeah, actually, the photo you sent me is beautiful landscape as well. That's a beautiful part of the world where you live. Yeah, come
1: come join us for one of our Pokemon box.
0: I should, shouldn't I? I should. I should. Yeah, you should. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it, it's interesting when I was reading um, the book, the Mantras uh, book, and I felt like I could s- see so much of what I was reading in myself, um, not just from a pilgrim's perspective, but also from being one like you, being one of 11 children, um, which. It's a pretty rare thing to have in common with someone else, I have to say. Yeah. Do you think beings from such a large family shaped you being you? Uh, yeah,
1: I'm sure it has. And in, 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 in amazingly good ways. I uh, People are really surprised that I say we all love each other. mm you know, and they just kind of have a picture of chaos when you think about <laughs> of a family of 11. And there was lots of chaos, but we actually do love each other. And and there's people from all kinds of political perspectives and, and everything and faith perspectives. But um, we just love getting together. We just had my daughter's wedding at a Girl Scout camp for three days. Oh. And uh, all, eight of my 10 brothers and sisters came up from California to the to the wedding and we just had a blast. We had Irish music. I was in, I'm in an Irish band. So we played at, at the the night before. It was, it was really fun. And I think I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but I just think living with 11 10 brothers and sisters, you you always have somebody to play with. Yeah. You know? So it's it's a great way to grow up. Yeah. You
0: know, di- yeah. It was
1: a dif- different era. It was a different era.
0: It was a different era and we all get along famously too, and people say all the time, "I can't work that out. I can't make sense of that. How can that be?" But it's true. Yeah. Uh, it really is true. true. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic. So, do you think, though, being surrounded by other spirits and souls and personalities constantly during your upbringing shaped your search for more meaning later in life? Um. It
1: probably did. It probably did. I, uh, I started, I I was in seminary at age 14.
0: Wow. This was the
1: old days. Yeah. This was the old days when you had minor seminaries and we actually went studied at age 14 high school. (laughs) So it was a big, I know, I know. I didn't stay. I was there until I was 29 or 28. And it was a, it was a brother, but, um, it was amazing, you know, experience in my life. I have no regrets.
0: Yeah. How incredible! I didn't know that. So yeah, yeah. So fourteen years old. Yeah, <laughs> it it sounds crazy
1: now. I know, but it wasn't as weird as it sounds. You know, it was. We were just, you know, young people looking for a meaningful life.
0: And often people yeah. are at fourteen. Often we are looking for yeah for more at fourteen. Have, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. How extraordinary. And
1: the te- teachers were good, you know, it was it was there was never any abuse or anything you hear about in the news and mm-hmm. all that stuff. You mm-hmm. know, it was it was um it was very engaging kind of education, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I, I I suppose the the next question then, has a big family childhood made you more social or more introspective, do you think?
1: Um I would say I have I'm basically an introvert. I'm kind of a quiet guy. I love to get up two hours in the morning before everybody else wakes up and go for a walk. I put my headlamp on and I go walking and I'm immediately on the Camino. I don't know how about you feel about that, Dan, but uh, if I put a headlamp on and I'm out walking in the early morning, it's just like being on the Camino again. Yeah. Uh, This is something that just restarts, you know.
0: From my perspective, it's made me much more social.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I guess I'm probably different, and I, I'm tend towards introspection more. And uh, I have what I call a borrowed persona. And basically, if I'm in a situation like um, I was, I also did a lot of teaching. I can I can put on a borrowed persona and do what I need to do, and then go get some get, go go recharge by being by, by myself. So I don't know if that you, that you ever have to do that, probably as a performer, you know? You do. It. You have to sort of borrow a persona and, and just be the, the life of the party.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. You do. And sometimes it's tough. It, sometimes it's difficult to do it. Um, but yeah, borrowed persona. I've never heard that before, but that's a really interesting insight. Borrowed persona. And it's not
1: being phony. You know, it's not being phony. It's just saying, at, in this moment, this is what I need to do right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Gosh, there's another whole podcast in that alone. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, look, I absolutely love the book. I love the stories behind the mantras and the messages that they send to pilgrims and to the world. Have you got a Camino story for us?
1: I do. I have one. Um, I actually had two, but I'll... Give us two. Give us two. Give us two. Okay. So one of them was I was walking on the Camino and... Um, I can't even remember what town was I was in, we were in but there was a large um room for in the albergue where we could sit around and and there was even a little bit of a kitchen on one end where you could do some cooking and there was a good number of people in there maybe 20 thirty people in the this large room it was just kind of a waiting room or rest place to relax and there was no guitar around so I was wondering well okay well I could pull out my guitar my harmonica you know hmm. so I pulled out my harmonica oh there we are And I I, I hope you don't mind me doing this. I'd love it. I did this. I started playing Ode to Joy and all of a sudden this guy from Germany starts singing Ode to Joy in German and then a French guy started singing a verse in French and then a Spaniard sang a one in, in Spanish and then a Canadian sang it in English and then a Korean sang it in Korean and it was magic, Dan.
0: How great! You know? That is so fantastic! Where was that? Where were you? Do you remember? I,
1: I, I can't even remember now. I I I was the worst for telling. Yeah. I would wake up each morning and say, what town are we in?
0: <laughs> it has taken me some time to be able to put two and two together and work out exactly where I was. How fantastic. What a great story. Now the second one. Come on.
1: Okay, so the second one has a little bit more related to the mantras. Because, um, you know, I, we would pretty regularly in the gathering in the evening, we'd be having a beer with the other pilgrims, and and if there was a lull in the conversation, we would bring up these seven, these five lessons of the Camino. You know, starting with live in the moment, and uh, we were doing that in a little small group, and there was these two people that were at a kind of a bar in the same area, just watching us, and they're very intently watching us, a man and a woman, and uh, after a while, they came over and they said, um, "We've been listening to your conversation." And um, we are from from Slovenia, and we are the anchors for their version of. Do you know what Sixty Minutes is? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay, so so it's the Slovenian version of Sixty Minutes. These were the two anchors, wow. it was the the cameraman and the and the woman anchor, and they said we have been walking the Camino to try to get stories for a special, and. We're we're kind of frustrated because every time we ask people about the Camino, they just say, oh, it was nice. And we're tired of nice. (laughs) And so we we heard you guys talking about these lessons of the Camino. And we'd love to interview you. So the next night, they said, we'll meet the next night in this village. And uh, it happened to have a a fireplace. So we lit a fire. And there was a guitar there. I started singing a few Irish songs. And then um, they interviewed us. And it, became, it was on national TV in Slovenia for their Christmas special.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. What a great story. <laughs> uh, it was all about the mantras, you know, the first five mantras of the book. You know? That is such a great story. How wonderful. That's great. Yeah. I, I think, look, I absolutely love the book. And I love, as Thank I you. said, the messages. I love the encouragement. I love the overall sentiment of it as well. I was delighted to get a copy. And, and you've so very, very kindly offered to to send out a copy to anyone who asks. Congratulations, Patrick. It's a delight to speak with you again. The book is available via Amazon. All your books are there. And and again, congratulations, Patrick. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I really look forward to the day when I can step out onto the trail in Oregon or Washington or wherever we are with you. Uh, I love the idea of Trout Lake Abbey and walking the labyrinth with you. In the meantime, my friend, buen camino. Buen camino. My guest this week was the American pilgrim and author Patrick Rawson. You can find Patrick's books on Amazon. The Conjectures of a Wayward Pilgrim, My Musings While Walking the Camino de Santiago, Conjections of a Border Pilgrim, Reflections on Borders, Boundaries and Belonging. And the third in the trilogy, From Isolation to Embrace, Conjectures on Belonging in the Time of Pandemic. And the new book, Mantras for a Mindful Camino. And you can get that on Amazon as well. Or if you shoot me an email, danmullinsmusic at gmail.com, I'll send you a copy. danmullinsmusic at gmail.com. Com. Patrick made mention of the 12 Steps to Humility. They're via Sister Quincy Howard. Um, they're an appendix at the end of the book. And again, I, I'd be happy to send it to you, but I thought I'd just run through them because they're really special and it's a really beautiful aspect of this, this wonderful book. So the 12 Steps of Humility. One, recognize that there is a higher power Greater than ourselves, that is at work. Step two, admit that our will may not be what's best for us. Step three, in our 12 steps of humility, seek direction from others. Step four, endure the pains of development and do not give up. Step five, Acknowledge faults and strip away masks. Step six, be content with less than the best. Hmm. Step seven, let go of our false sense of self and embrace our true self. Step eight, preserve tradition and learn from community. Wow. Step nine, embrace silence and listen. Step ten. Never ridicule anyone or anything. Step eleven. Speak kindly. Step twelve. Be calm and encourage others who need help. In the meantime, On Namuguru Devnamo, I call upon the divine wisdom and bow this wisdom. That's it for this week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino.